You're listening to the Fanfic Maverick Podcast, the show where I talk to fanfiction writers about their work and the marvelous world of fanfiction. This show may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. The following paragraphs are from Chapter 2 of a fanfiction story titled I Only See Daylight by today's guest fanfiction author, Apple Juice. There was this old image he had of the life he left behind, the life he could have chosen and never can now. A reedy house and a couple acres of land, a spitfire of a wife who'd keep him on his toes and hold him tight at night, some job and some building in a small town and home-cooked meals and slow Sunday mornings in a dusty room, maybe a dog, maybe 2.5 kids, Maybe all those trappings of an unexamined American life. It's glamorized, an idealism with a dash of willful ignorance of all the other shit that rots at society's core. But it's easy to long for, knowing that he'll never get it. It's an exercise in half-misery to know that it's something he thinks he could have found purpose in, but never can now, but turned away from because of his own hubris. He hasn't thought about it much recently. Because... He's a little busy running a restaurant with his best friend. They work over the menu again and again. He grounds Hardison's crazy ideas and horrible flavor combinations in actual gastronomy. Hardison pushes him out of his comfort zone, forces him to think about food in new ways, about how to make some of Hardison's ideas actually work. To trust his own expertise instead of trying to play it safe, because he does actually know what he's talking about. There's a new mundane sort of joy when they nail the menu down. The first time the restaurant tips out of the red and starts making money. The first time there's a line at the door on a Friday night. The first time they get a positive write-up in a local paper. It's all a bit surreal. But it's his and Hardison's and it's good. Really, really good. In this utterly normal way. In any other life, this would be his big break. His culmination. A restaurant slowly succeeding under itself, with a partner who he works so seamlessly with. Well, partners, of course. Parker seems mostly uninterested in the brew pub as a concept, but becomes his primary taste tester for new menu items. There's something in the way she talks about food. It's too sticky, like glue dots, she'll say, with a shake of her head or... It makes me feel like the Greek and Roman wing at the Met, when I think it should make me feel like the Museum of Natural History. Objective nonsense. But he's fluent enough in Parker, or at least has some sort of Rosetta Stone in his head that connects Parker speak to his internal understanding of food. It works every time, making the dishes better in some deeper way that's beyond taste. And when he gets it right, Parker's face always eases into something blissful. Her eyes shut and her smile soft. What makes Hardison all flushed and beaming, acquiescing ever so gracefully to her feeding him off her fork and voicing his own assent, if less nonsensically. Like wind chimes? She'll ask eagerly, eyes wrapped on his face. And Hardison will finish chewing and nod along. Sure, baby. Wind chimes. He'll agree tilting his head like he's trying to get the exact feeling she's describing before meeting Elliot's eyes across the table with a fond, helpless smile. And his heart will thump, 
and the dish will end up on the menu with some weird name that Parker cooks up, and it'll be a top seller by the end of the week. And though it may pale a comparison to the kinds of things they accomplish on jobs, to the good they do, to the people they help, it still feels like something. Like everything. To the north, south, east, and west four corners of the world, greetings from the wild arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Our special guest fanfiction writer today is Apple Juice. She has been a member of AO3 since 2015, and she currently has 67 fanfictions posted for a variety of different fandoms, including, but not limited to, the Marvel Universe, the DC Universe, Avatar The Last Airbender, The Magicians, and Leverage. Apple Juice has been writing her entire life, and she just recently graduated with a degree in English and film. Congratulations on that amazing accomplishment, and welcome to the Fanfic Maverick. Thank you so much for coming on, Apple Juice. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. And I just realized that I have written 67 fanfictions. I didn't know that that was the number. So yeah, 67 as of today. Isn't that so cool? Yeah, (laughs) it it certainly keeps growing, doesn't it? Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes. And hopefully continues to keep growing. You know, of course, again, congratulations on uh, on graduating English and film. I feel like those go so well together. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, no. Yeah, it was great at the time. My parents weren't as excited about my job prospects, but no, yeah, I I love, I've been writing forever and I love storytelling and yeah, getting to kind of do it across mediums with like English and film at the same time, like, was really great. I loved it. Yeah, I imagine that that was such a creative process, like creative pursuit. Oh, definitely. Yeah, just, just being able, I mean, just learning more and more about how to kind of analyze media. I mean, that <laughs> I think it helps a lot with fan fiction as well. And with my own writing, just that process of, of digging in deep to a piece of fiction and yeah, and the different ways that different forms of like fiction and film and TV, how they all like work in different ways and how to understand those forms. It's yeah, no, I love that stuff. I think that that's just so cool. Yeah, as you were talking, I was totally thinking, Wow, you know, like, no wonder she writes such great fan fictions, because I can totally see how learning how to dig into those in a creative way can assist you with really understanding the creative process, writing process, and also just digging into characters as people, right? Because that's essentially what you you writers are doing is really digging into these characters (laughs) and, you know, showing us who they are. And I think that's so amazing. So we know that you've been writing all your life. That's something that you've always done. But tell us a little bit about your relationship with fan fiction specifically. Do you remember reading your first piece of fan fiction ever? Yeah, very vaguely. I I think I was like 14 and I was at this like family function with hanging out with like a cousin my age. And we were talking about Once Upon a Time, which is a show that we both watched and both like (laughs) were really into. And she just kind of brought it up about how like, oh, do you read fan fiction for it? I have to show you like some of these fics. They're really good. 
And so she like sent me like these little links on fanfic.net. And I, I wasn't like as into Once Upon a Time as her. And I don't really remember the actual fix that she sent, like reading them or, or not. But I suddenly had like access to that site. And it was like a world opening up. Like I had my little like iPad for school and I was like, I downloaded the fanfic.net app and I was like, I just started playing around and I was like, I can put in characters that I like. I can look for stories that I want to read. Yeah. And then I spent like a long time reading a lot of Percy Jackson fan fiction, actually. I think that was like my first like hub of fanfic was reading through any kind of Percy Jackson fic I could get my hands on. I think it was in between like some of the Heroes of Olympus books coming out. So which which they always had like those really big cliffhangers. And it like blew my little mind that I could like read people's takes on it and like read all of this speculation about what might happen next. And then just like keep doing it like over and over again, just reading like different stories from different people about these characters that I like, just kind of branching out in a million directions. Yeah, yeah. And then I was on Tumblr for a while. I got really into kind of Marvel and the Captain America movies and kind of looking through looking through thick rec lists on there. Oh, I noticed yeah. that, yeah, uh, I noticed that like all of those links were for AO3. And that's kind of how I jumped over to AO3. <laughs> yeah, which was because it was kind of at that tail end of like fanfic.net when like AO3 kind of overtook it as like the, the bigger site. Yeah, getting access to, to AO3 was that was that was it. I think that's when I was just like, now I spend like every day, like five hours just reading fic. Same, same. Was that a strange transition for you going from fanfiction.net to AO3 when you first discovered AO3? It was really, it was just really interesting, I think, like, the differences between the two sites, specifically in how you could find fic. Like, I feel, and maybe I'm just more used to it, but I feel like it's a lot more intuitive on AO3. Like, the process of, like, I'm going to select this specific, like, fandom as, like, a tag, or this specific, like, ship as a tag, and then just being able to, like, sort through there, where with, like, with fanfic.net, or maybe I just never learned how to use it properly, but you had to, like, scroll through, like, a bunch of options to find, like, the specific fandom you were in and then, like, add the characters you wanted to read about. I feel like, yeah, in terms of just, like, user interface, I found AO3 to be, like, a lot more intuitive. And so it just became so much easier for little high school me to just ferociously, like, read through a tag of, like, every single fic that's ever been published about these two characters. Um, so <laughs> no yeah. you're right no you're right about that you know back in the day because I remember when fanfiction.net first came out the little filtering system that they had on fanfiction.net was really simplistic and then they eventually made it a little more sophisticated where you could choose character a and character b yeah. and then you could choose like a genre you know and then ratings and stuff like that that's still about as specific as it gets, I think, on fanfiction.net, yeah. where it's like you can choose a genre. But, you know, when I discovered AO3 and how you can do specific tags, oh, you know, gosh, yeah. I'm always <laughs> looking for something very specific when I'm reading fanfiction. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it's like priceless being able to click on a specific tag and just be able to find specifically what you're looking for instead of having to go like searching through the bin. And I think that that's so cool, your point about the Percy Jackson fan fiction, because uh, I do feel like, you know, media, when they leave us on those cliffhangers, 
that really does just open up that oh, yeah. like perfect space, right? For fan fiction to just jump in and fill yeah. up the spaces and help us feel better, I guess, in the moment about those crazy cliffhangers while we're waiting to find out what actually happens in canon, you know? <laughs> no, I, I love that. Like, I really love specifically, I have this weird like fascination with like older fanfics for like TV shows where like they were written like in between episodes or in between seasons. And so they they don't know. Like when I know like, okay, this is how the actual like next season started. But there's just like all of this like speculation and potential. Like I love that so much. Like the feeling of like just feeling out that like creativity and speculation and excitement of like not knowing what's coming. Like I love that. That That's one of my favorite things <laughs> with fanfic. I love that perspective. <laughs> do you feel like an archaeologist sometimes when you do that? Definitely. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like looking like stratigraphically going back like through and being like, ah, oh, right before that big episode, they don't even know, but they're thinking about this and like, yeah, no. <laughs> that is so, so cool. I love that perspective so much. That's amazing. Now, what about your first experiences with fandom in general? Because I know that obviously fan fiction is part of the fandom experience. But I was curious to know if you had any like fandom experiences before you discovered fan fiction or if you had any fandom experiences like separate from fan fiction. And if so, like what did that look like for you? Yeah, I, I think for a long time it was like the lunch table with my friends. <laughs> and to bring up Percy Jackson again, like that that was a big one. Like when we were all just kind of reading the same books and talking about them and talking about the characters and like you know, playing around. I remember, and this is like, I think so dangerous in retrospect, but like in like middle school, like my friends and I read the Hunger Games and we loved the Hunger Games. And then like during recess, we would be like, okay, we're playing the Hunger Games now. And we would like get sticks and be like, we're fighting <laughs> and just like kind of running around it, but just like, you know, playing in that space and like thinking about those works, like not as like this closed item i think the way that like in english class when you're like reading something it just feels like very closed or at least like i don't know like my experience in like middle school english where it was just like we're reading this and these are the themes and blah 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 it was like a very closed kind of circuit of like this is what the work is but being able to kind of take that work and then just kind of open it up and just like to play in the space which i think is what fandom is and, and what's so exciting about it for so many people is just like taking it on and sharing it and like yeah so yeah <laughs> I guess I guess if that counts as fandom if, if you know hitting my brother with a stick in the backyard is fandom <laughs> then um, that was part of it yeah and then kind of with more internet access kind of as I got older like being on tumblr and everything and actually starting to confront like these like online communities of people who were like connecting over media yeah then that was kind of my more official introduction into all of that and getting to see like those larger like communities and how they're they're built online was yeah oh i love that though and i love that your first fandom experiences and i would absolutely count that as a fandom experience <laughs> was in person right with yeah, your friends yeah. around the lunch table just getting yeah. really excited about something that you all loved and then role-playing with it yeah. <laughs> creatively interacting with it. Like you said, on such a way that it's open, it's free, you can do whatever you want and take those elements from this fandom and make them your own. It sounds like you at least had a cousin that was into fan fiction. Did you talk with your cousin quite a bit about fan fictions and things like that? 
whenever we were like spending time together at family functions and stuff, we would definitely talk about it. And the weird thing is, is that we were always just in like different kind of corners aside from like that one little like once upon a time moment where we were like overlapping, like we were in different spaces. But I think that that's really interesting too, to just, there's all these little pockets in the internet and just like, you know, out there. Yeah, I, I don't think it was until college when I was like much older and was like thinking, I think more critically, I guess, about like fan fiction as a whole that like my roommate, we all, we both read a lot of fan fiction, but in different spaces. But we kind of like, she's also a humanities major, so we're really into like overthinking everything and analyzing things. But we're kind of able to have like much deeper conversations about like how fanfic works and what fandom does and kind of like abstracted from like a specific fandom. And those are always great conversations because we, yeah, we're little nerds who just can't shut up. I love that though. It is so special when you find someone in real life that you can have those conversations with. There's nothing that can replace that. And I think that is so, so cool. Now, let me ask you something, because it has been a long time since I've been in college, right? So it was very different back when I was there. I have been hearing through the grapevine, especially with some of the Gen Zers, that fan fiction and fandom is a lot more of an open thing now. And I don't know how true that is. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking back on your college experience, you know, with your roommate and with other people that you interacted with, did fandom and fan fiction still feel to you kind of like, like a secret thing that people really didn't talk about or acknowledge much? Or did it seem a little more open when you were in college as far as like people talking about nerd stuff and fan fiction and things that they loved? Yeah, I think it went kind of hand in hand with my own relationship with fanfic and how comfortable I was talking about it openly. Like with my roommate, or like, like my friend who I, I talk about fandom with a lot, we didn't actually like admit to each other that we, we both read a lot of fanfic until almost a, about a year after we had met. And then it was also so incredibly funny or, or like I exciting that I found out she had read one of my fics like months no way. before we met, before we even met, she had read it. And I was just like, that's oh so my God. wild to me. That you're now like my dearest friend, but this was technically our first point of contact on this earth. Oh my god. Yeah, so that so it was definitely kind of a progression of just like, okay, we're closer and we can like talk about this more. But then I also kind of feel like I, I did feel that larger shift. Like by my I think it was my senior year, I brought in like this project to a film class kind of about fanfic and fanfic writers and stuff. And yeah, no, I, I think it is something that is that people are more open about. But I think because it's, it is such a large thing that it's hard, that, that, not that it's hard, but that it's like, I feel like it is very common, but I feel like the experiences are so different. Like, I feel like I see a lot on TikTok of people, they, they talk about their experience with fanfic, but they read Wattpad and I've never touched Wattpad. So I have no idea like what that culture is like at all. Or, or like, I don't know, just like fandoms that I've never been in where people like talk about those experiences. And I have no like point of contact for them because I feel like the communities are so different every time and each fandom experience is so different. So yeah, I think I think because I, I feel like there is like a, a more openness about it, but I feel like it, it almost makes it more clear how huge kind of the expanse of fandom and fanfic is and how different everybody's experience with it is. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I love that point. I love that. Yes. 
because sometimes I think people outside of the fan fiction and fandom spaces tend to think that this whole fan fiction thing is some like homogenous group of people yeah, and, and stuff like that. But you're so right that it really depends from fandom to fandom. And sometimes even within the fandom, you have these little like splinter factions, even within fandoms. And it's just this really interesting, like stratified experience, I think. It's like this endless thing that you could go on exploring forever and still not get to the bottom of. And then, oh my God, I love that your roommate read your fan fiction (laughs) before you guys even met. You know, it's so funny. I've never said this on the show before, but even though online fandom seems like this huge, expansive place, I'm constantly shook by how small it feels sometimes, you know? Who knows who and who has connections to who? And it just is amazing to me. So that's so amazing and so cool. I bet that was a really neat experience, you know, realizing like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was so, it was so funny. Like the moment we put it together and we were like, wait, that's, that's insane. That's, (laughs) yeah. Now, I am always so curious to know what people's takes and thoughts are on fan fiction as a whole. For you specifically, what makes fan fiction unique and compelling? Yeah, I love it so much. And as someone who writes like original fiction and like in like book form, in screenplay form, just like in all of these different forms, I feel like fandom and fanfic is like its own unique kind of mode of storytelling. And it has a lot of freedom. Like in original fiction, the big thing that I I think I've learned over the years is that it's about making choices. You're just constantly making like these choices about what the story is and what events are happening. And in original fiction, they're so permanent. So they have like a lot of weight, which I think allows a story to be very impactful. But at the same time, like the stakes are very high when you're making these decisions about, you know, what you're trying to say, what's going to happen to these characters. And like what, you know, the story is. But in in thick, it's just so much more about, I think, freedom and play. And so I can write a story and take these choices that have already kind of been made about like the characters and the world and, and certain plot events and kind of take those on and not have to make those choices, but then make all of these different little choices and kind of explore the choices that were made in in a way that I you can't always in original fiction because you're just constantly having to like you know create. Whereas I feel like you know in fanfic a lot of times you can create and deconstruct and explore and think, and then at the end of it, I can do it all over again. <laughs> like for me especially, like I I will write the same two people like falling in love over and over. I'll explore like this scene from this, you know, movie or whatever, from a bunch of different perspectives. Yeah, it's just really freeing to be able to do that and to to kind of leave one work and be like, I wish I had focused a little bit more on that. And then to be able to actually do that and to, to write the same story or more or less or like the same framework, but with, from a different character's perspective, with a different kind of thematic through line, with these these tropes instead of those tropes, like, yeah, it's it's just really fun. Like you're just in this sandbox, this like communal like sandbox and you're you get to like create and destroy at the same time and just I don't know, like keep doing it. 
I love how you put that. <laughs> no one has ever put it quite that way on the show before, and I'm like enraptured. I'm fascinated by that. Like my brain is lighting up. That is so perfect. You know, I had never thought of that before. That yes, you know, fan fiction is a creative process, absolutely, but it's also deconstructing the original content, right? Because we are picking it apart. We're picking apart the story. We're picking apart the backstory. We're picking apart the characters and their motivations and their emotions. And it's this gorgeous, like, process of creation and destruction. Thank you so, so much. That's really what I felt like was going on with your two leverage fan fictions that we will be talking about today. We are talking about leverage fandom today, folks, which I'm excited today because I have been a fan of leverage since it came out in 2008. And I don't have a whole lot of people in my life to talk about it with. So this is like a huge treat for me. And I've been wanting to have a leverage fan fiction writer on the show for forever. So I'm super, super, super excited. Tell me all about your background with leverage. Like, how did you get into this? What are your favorite things about it? Everything you want to say. Sure. I'll, I'll see if I can make it all coherent because there is there's so much to say. Yeah, no, I'm actually like really intrigued and like amazed with like how long you've known about the show and, and been interested in the show. Cause for me, it's like a very kind of new thing. Like I got into it last summer at this point. I think, yeah, I think that that tracks it. Yeah. I think like a lot of people last year was maybe not the best, like for my overall mental health and all of those things. So I was like in a very weird headspace. And then Leverage was just, like, this amazing life raft of, like, a show that I, like, watched twice in, like, four months and, like, fell in love with and got to channel, like, all of this, like, positive creative energy into. <laughs> what it is, like, for me is, like, this hallmark of this specific moment in television that I love so much. I really love television. Like, I majored in film, but I don't really like film as much as I like television, <laughs> like, Anytime there was like a TV course that came up, I was like, I'm taking this immediately because I, I love TV. <laughs> Leverage is just like this, a part of like, I think my favorite little genre of TV, which is like the 40 minute, like serialized dramedy. Like for, for reference, like my favorite TV show ever, I think is Psych. And it's, I feel like they're very similar in that vein of like, they're, they're very high concept and they're episodic despite being, 40 like like hour-long episodes and psych is definitely like more comedic than <laughs> leverage i feel like leverage does get a little bit more dramatic but that kind of type of tv is so fun to me and i feel like it doesn't get made anymore which makes me really sad like i feel like there's been this huge push towards overarching serialized dramas instead of like these you know high concept episodic stories but the thing that i like so much about the episodic, you know, drama is that the connective tissue is like character and relationship development, which is like my favorite thing always. And I think that that that's another reason why I I feel like these sh those that type of show in particular is so ripe for like fandom <laughs> is because they give you this structure and this setup. They give you like a framework. <laughs> And then you can create within that framework, like the space between episodes and the space between seasons is a space that you can play with a lot. And, and the fact that there is like this focus on the characters and the relationships that you can then, you know, 
deconstruct, I guess, like I was saying before, on your own, like, yeah, no, I, I think that it's, it's so perfect, like, and you, you can really feel just, like, the passion and, like, the attentiveness to which they created these characters, like, the found family trope, I think, is, is another just hallmark of this show, and it's a trope oh my that God, right? I love dearly, yeah, no. But I, I never, I don't think I've ever seen it executed the way that they do in the show before, where like, like found family can mean a lot of things, which I, is a lot of fun. Like, it could be a group of coworkers in this sitcom, or it could be like this group of teenagers who are like, trying to stop the apocalypse or whatever. But I don't think I've ever seen like the, no, this is mom and dad and the kids. And it's just exploring kind of like a very rigid idea of family, but it's a found family still. And it has a lot of, like, the same dysfunction. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just really wonderful. And I think that, yeah, you can feel that it was made by people who loved what they were doing and really cared about character and relationship. Yeah, they do such a good job with the storytelling on Leverage. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm very picky, personally, with the TV shows that I, that I like. I mostly do watch TV shows, too. Modern movies I just have a really hard time with. I prefer like the older ones from the 90s and the 80s. So like I mostly watch TV, you know, and I find myself gravitating towards the ones that tell really great stories and have really deep character development. And I feel like I absolutely found that with Leverage. I totally agree with you. Like the storytelling is just amazing. It's actually kind of funny because I almost didn't get into Leverage. My ex-wife, she loves everything new that comes up, right? She loves new technology, new shows, new movies, everything new, new, new. And so she was always trying to get me to watch stuff. And well, she really wanted me to watch Leverage, right? So I was like, okay, fine. Like, <laughs> I will sit down. I will watch this with you. And I have to admit something like so super embarrassing to you and to everyone. I have a weakness, okay? An Achilles heel. <laughs> and that weakness is men with long hair. Oh. <laughs> right? That'll do it. That'll do it. <laughs> That'll do it. I sat there and watched Elliot Spencer on the screen. It was like, yep, I like this. This is my new favorite show ever. <laughs> and became like totally obsessed. And of course, like after you get over that initial like, oh my God, so cool. Then you start really falling in love with these characters. You do. Elliot Spencer aside, I fell in love with Alec Hardison. Like, I love that man, you know? Yeah. And Aldous, the way that he did it was so amazing. And, you know, and Parker, you just fall in love with her. She's so endearing. Sophie, Nate, all of them. They all have crazy weaknesses, right? Idiosyncrasies that you're just like, what is wrong with you? But it's endearing, though, right? Yeah, it's endearing where absolutely. you're just like, okay. And then to just watch them because they're all such broken people. And to watch them slowly, slowly, slowly gravitate to one another. Oh, yeah. And slowly start trusting each other. It's like one of the ultimate found family shows that I've ever seen in my entire Absolutely. life. Absolutely. Like, so amazing, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> the quintessential found family show, I think. Like, yeah, that's, it's really interesting to me, that kind of perspective. I had one of my friends in high school try to get me to watch Leverage and... We we had this whole deal where we would trade off, like, I force you to watch a pilot of a show I like, and you can force me to watch a pilot of a show that you like. 
And so that I ended up watching like the pilot episode with her back in like 2016. I, I, I guess I just wasn't in the right headspace for it. Like it didn't grab me right away. I think maybe a part of that is that like, my my favorite character, the one that like sucked me in is was Parker. Like, I love her so much. And yeah, if it hadn't been for her, I don't think I I could have like spat out like a couple thousand words of fanfic because something about her just compels me so much. And I feel like she's very different in the pilot episode compared to like the second episode. Like, so I think it took me like just like that little extra hump of like, oh, no, this is who she is. And then I was kind of like in it. But yeah, I, I do think it, it it's very funny that like I almost watched it in 2016 and then didn't end up actually getting around to it until this year. And now I'm like, oh, it's one of the greatest TV shows I've ever watched in my life. You make such a good point about Parker because, yeah, that first episode, she's interesting, but she doesn't really become herself until the second episode. And then all of yeah. a sudden, like all this crazy comes out. And it just keeps coming out episode after episode yes. after episode. And you're like, oh, my God. Oh, that's what's know? going on here. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, yeah, I feel like that's really I always like notice when that stuff happens, that kind of the gap, especially back then when things used to sell on pilot a lot more like that gap between pilot and the actual show when things get shifted and changed and characters start to like become more themselves. It's always so interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. And, you know. I've done a lot of thinking about Parker just because she is such a unique character. And I feel like I have never seen a character quite like Parker in any other show or movie ever. No. Ever. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really like incredible. Actually, like something that I specifically about her that's so appealing to me is, first of all, their approach to like her neurodivergence, which I think like is done with so much care. Like, it's never explicitly stated, but, like, yeah, the way that, that people interact with her and the way that she interacts with them and the way that she learns more about herself and about others is done so well and just appeals to me so much as something with my own, like, weird brain stuff. And then she also, like, my personal headcanon for her that I feel like I saw come through in the text a lot, I, like, I headcanon her as asexual, and I feel like there are, like, a lot of moments in the show where, you know, she she feels, like, ace-coded, which is something that I feel like almost isn't a real thing for how, like, little representation there is there. So it was just something that really, like, stood out to me where I was just like, oh, wow, like, I've I've never really seen a character like this before, and I, like, connect to her in so many ways, and yeah. And then I just became absolutely obsessed and lost my mind a little bit. <laughs> oh, I love that. And I agree. I agree with your assessment there. I had the same thought when I was watching her on screen, you know, because even after she admits on the show that she loves pretzels, right, that she has feelings for Alec Hardison, the way that she goes about that relationship, you always got the sense their relationship was still different. Nothing bad, nothing wrong. Just it was definitely a different type of relationship. And it was just beautiful to see because like you always got the impression that Hardison was just like, cool, this is what it is. And I'm totally cool with this. And whatever you want it to be, let's do that. And I've just always loved that. I loved watching the rest of the team interact with her on her level and just accept this is who Parker is and this is fine. It was just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal what they did. Yeah, like, actually genuinely amazed that, like, 
they pulled it off like so well especially i feel like at that time period i've watched like a couple other shows i recently rewatched like how i met your mother um which was coming around out around the same time and there's like a lot of things in that show that did not age well even just over like the past 10 years and like their approach to a lot of different like identities but the fact that that show like was in that same time period and and yet like was able i think in a lot of ways to do a character like her so respectfully and to explore that their Parker and Hardison's relationship in that way where it was just like so respectful and so like careful and so like thoughtful it, it's amazing to me <laughs> like i i'm just like yeah no it, absolutely amazing yes Alec Hardison dream man <laughs> like i can't he's so yes perfect. it was so gently done and i was just like oh my gosh what do you think about the reboot because uh, for those who don't know the show did come out in 2008 and it ran for about um how many seasons was it was it five five, five. seasons yeah yeah and then it went radio silence for like 10 years the creators and producers of the show had always said that they wanted to bring it back because it ended up getting canceled is what happened after five years. It was sort of unexpected. So they really never got to wrap up the show properly. So the producers had always said, hey, we would really love this to come back. And they sort of like teased it for 10 years. And then finally it happened. It rebooted. So I think that the reboot, the first season came out last October, if I remember correctly. It's free to watch, you know, and everything. And I watched that first reboot season. It's called Leverage Redemption. And I thought it was just spectacular, like so well done. I loved it. I felt like it really stayed true to the feel of the old leverage. And there was a lot of like callback moments in that first reboot season, which I really loved. So I, I wanted to see what you thought about the reboot. Yeah, it's really, it's interesting to me. I have, I have a lot of opinions about reboots and stuff. I'm usually pretty anti-reboot. I think especially just because I feel like there's so much of it right now in the landscape, like things from like five years ago are getting rebooted. And I'm like, oh, man, can we can we please do we do we really need this? <laughs> yeah, it was interesting because it was it came out and was coming out like around it, like talk of it is what like got me to actually watch the show. So it was happening kind of concurrently with my watching of this series. Yeah, I, I think in my head. It, they're very separate entities. And I think it's just because there's a lot of change to the, the structure for a lot of reasons. So like, you don't have Nate in the mix and like, <laughs> yeah, and you have these new characters. And I think that the way that they incorporated all of these changes was very well done. I did like, I thought Harry was <laughs> such a great addition. Brianna was perfect. Like, but it just feel it, it is like a change. And I think like it's because Leverage was a show that was so built on structure where it's like, it's these five characters, it's this exact setup, it's this like over and over again without ever getting like repetitive or boring because it's amazing. But, and so like that shift does kind of make it separate in my head. But I, I think like there was a lot of that heart still there. Yeah. I, I think they also suffered a lot with not being able to have Aldous Hodge in all of the episodes because he is such like a heart. I guess my hope, because I know that they're making a season two, and I think that that might shift my opinion on it. If like if he is able to be there consistently, which I really hope he will be, <laughs> I feel like maybe it'll feel a little bit better for me. But yeah, no, I think overall they did a, a good job of kind of adapting to their circumstances. 
it just is such like a, I, I think a shift in my head between the two because like the setup is so different. And I can totally see that. I was disappointed too that Hardison was not a bigger part of season one. And I realized like the reason why is he was filming that movie at the time. <laughs> yeah. And I think the way that narratively they incorporated that was perfect. Like I, I think especially in the first two episodes, that kind of discussion of him leaving and like him making that decision. It was beautiful. It was great. It was done so well. But you really do feel his absence so keenly because he's just he's so wonderful. He's like the heart of like <laughs> the whole thing. No, he really is. He is, though. He's one of my favorite characters on the show because I feel like he is the one that is the most emotionally intelligent. Oh, yes. <laughs> Maybe the only one who is emotionally intelligent. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. He just seems to intuitively understand his friends and is able to navigate their various personalities in such an expert way. And you're right, like, he's just like the glue sometimes that holds everything together when the others are, like, struggling because, you know, they don't sometimes understand each other or the situation or whatever. But, you know, usually Hardison is coming in being like, okay, guys, you know, <laughs> and can kind of uh, interpret things for people or just understand them on that level that they need to be understood. So, yes, his absence was definitely, like, keenly felt so. Fingers crossed that he is more of a presence in second season. I mean, obviously, super glad that Aldous has lots of creative projects oh, that he's absolutely. working on. Good for him. <laughs> yeah, great for him, right? Yeah. But like, at the same time, it's like, we just want Hardison back. <laughs> I would like to see him, please. Yes. Yes. Now, okay, so when do we get talking about your fixer? I noticed that you write for the OT3 pairing yes. with your leverage fan fiction, which I freaking love. I do want to just very briefly talk a little bit here about my earliest memories, though, of leverage fan fiction, because I started reading leverage fan fiction probably like in 2009. So I've seen a lot of change with leverage fan fiction, which I think is just so amazing. But I remember reading a lot of Leverage fan fiction on LiveJournal because that's where all of the Leverage fan fictions were being posted was up on LiveJournal. And I remember like the really popular series, like um, there was this really popular series on LiveJournal and I think it was called Black King, White Knight. It was uh, the Nate and Elliot pairing. When Leverage first got started, that's what you saw the most of. You saw a lot of Nate Elliott, right? And then you also saw a lot of Elliot Hardison. It was those two pairings almost exclusively. Every now and then, I think you'd get, you know, some other stuff thrown in there <laughs> or whatever. But it was mostly that for a really, 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 really long time. And then back in 2000, I would say 15, 16, I went on to AO3 to check out Leverage fan fiction. I hadn't read any in that fandom for a really long time. I had taken a big break, you know? So I go in there, 2015, 16, and start looking around. And I realize, like, oh, shit, the pairings have shifted here. And it's all OT3 between Elliot, Hardison, and Parker. And that's mostly what you see now in Leverage fan fiction, which I think is gorgeous. It's beautiful. I love it. That's so interesting to me. I love like thinking about those things and like seeing how things shift. Yeah. Yeah. It was just very interesting to me. And I'm actually really glad 
for that shift. And I sort of understand it in a way because obviously the relationship between Parker and Hardison is canon. That does happen in the show. But in the show, it feels like poor Elliot is always like forever trying to find someone and just never succeeds. He dates a little bit here and there. He has like tragic romantic backstories with different people from his past. But he never really has someone special in the show. I know that in the reboot, he does date that, what is she, like a U.S. Marshal or something. He dates her for part of the season or whatever, but they end up breaking up. So again, like he's just so unlucky in love and everything. So I feel like sometimes that OT3 thing is fandom's way of trying to fix that with Elliot and try to like, you know, bring him in, right, to this beautiful, healthy relationship that already exists between Parker and Hardison. Yeah, it's it is interesting to me. I think like with the context of where season 5 and like the finale leaves everybody, I think that that's a very interesting component of it for me how like it is the three of them at the end, you know, like that they are the ones who are like kind of continuing this on and they are, they become like leverage international <laughs> while while Nate and Sophie go off. Yeah, I, I think what's so compelling about the OT3 for me and, and why, like, I, I attach to them so strongly, I like, because of the way that the found family is set up, you kind of have the three of them lumped in together a lot. <laughs> so you kind of have Nate and Sophie doing mom and dad things, and then you have the three of them kind of figuring out their own stuff and, and you know, in their own little grouping. And that's kind of where they, they branch off by the end of the series. And I think, like, it's just that care of character and relationships that like they're all such incredible characters they're all so individually compelling so you have like these three great characters and then also in between them these three distinctive relationships that are also like so intricate and so different and so interesting yeah that that's what really compels me the most about the three of them is that like you see them together you see them sticking it out and you see kind of the way that they negotiate and relate to each other and love each other (laughs) like platonically romantically whatever like the love that is there is just so beautiful and and so interesting (laughs) yeah even on the reboot in the first couple of reboot episodes they make little comments back and forth the ot3 does That makes it sound like they've been living in each other's back pockets, like literally for the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it is. It's that, it's really wonderful. I'm trying to remember, like, because I I do, like, the first two episodes of the reboot, like, I think were my favorite just because they they had that, like, the three of them there, they had, you know, Hardison in the mix. It was, like, very much about them. It is just great kind of seeing, like, how, how comfortable they are with each other. And how, like, how we know the journey that took them there. And there's just something very, like, wonderful about thinking about them. Just, like, having each other to rely on for such a long time. And having that comfort and that home and that familiarity with each other. That's, yeah, no, it's amazing. It is. It is. And I love your point about them being all very different characters. That's one of the things that I love about Leverage in general is that each character is so specifically unique. You would never confuse one character with another character because they're all so incredibly different. And so, yeah, the OT3 pairing between these three is just so interesting because they're all such different people. 
I imagine that perhaps there are challenging parts writing OT three as well, just because they are so uniquely different. What have been some of the most challenging parts for you specifically writing OT three? It's both like what appeals to me and what is challenging about it. I like as a writer, <laughs> I like you know the challenge. I like you know working for it and doing things new. It's the you you're bal- like usually in fan fiction, you know I'm I'm writing a lot of romance. And romance is complicated enough with two characters and, you know, just their different wants and needs and ways of communicating that just having three to begin with makes it more complicated because you're, you're just working out this geometry of how they interact and how they kind of shape themselves together and how they make it work, <laughs> which I think, yeah, just from a, a more like craft point of view, it, it gets a little bit trickier the more people you add on to it. But then also... Like a specific challenge for them, for me, is writing Parker from outside perspectives. Like, I really love writing from Parker's point of view. I love getting into that headspace of hers and just playing around in it. But there is something uniquely challenging to being an outside observer to her kind of whole force of nature and without having the context of how she's thinking things through. Like, you know, when I'm writing from outside of her perspective, I need to kind of have my idea of what her perspective is while I'm writing it from the outside and how I'm having, you know, people see her interact with things. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets it gets a little tricky sometimes. And that's kind of, that's the part that I'm always just like a little bit nervous about when I'm publishing fic. I'm like, I hope that I, I did that justice because it, it gets pretty hard. It almost sounds like trying to play a game of chess with yourself. Yes. <laughs> it feels a little bit like that. Oh, no, but you do such an amazing job. Like, I loved reading your Leverage fan fictions. I have a couple of favorites that we're going to talk about today. The first one that I ever read from you was a, a fan fiction called I Only See Daylight, which, oh my God, it was really late when I read this, and my brain gets really mushy and sweet and soft at night when, you know, I guess, I don't know, I'm tired or whatever. This just blew me away how beautiful it was. I was wondering where the idea for this fic came from. And I was also wondering if you could tell us just a little bit about what this fic is about. Sure. Yeah. This was like my Elliot thing. (laughs) I feel like the first leverage fic I wrote was Parker point of view, very Parker centric, because I became obsessed with her and then blinked and had written somehow like 18,000 words. And I was like, when did that happen? (laughs) So, uh, and then it just kind of became like a natural progression of like, okay, I have this giant Parker fic. I'm going to write a giant Elliot fic. I'm going to write a giant Hardison fic. And then I'll see like what other stories kind of call to me from there. So yeah, it was definitely like the appeal of approaching the OT3 from Elliot's point of view. And it, it ends up being kind of like this over the years type thing where just kind of checking in at all of these different points through the series, like exploring their relationship and his, you know, feelings about them and all of that. And so, yeah, it, yeah, that, that was kind of like the initial framework is just like the inevitability of writing about all of these characters. And yeah, I think what was so captivating about writing this and about Elliot's perspective is that he is on the outside in the series. That, like, the series canonically gives us Parker and Hardison and their kind of relationship and the way that it develops. And Elliot's on the outside of that. 
but he's like always there. And so it was a really interesting kind of experience for me as someone who is as as like a fanfic writer and reader and watcher of TV, that experience of watching people fall in love and and like feeling things about that, but then also specifically like his romantic kind of interest in them while he's kind of watching them together. And so like kind of the joyous experience of watching them become a couple while at the same time that pining <laughs> to be a part of it. Yeah. And so that was really fun for me to, to, to be in that perspective and to be able to like channel a lot of those emotions and to kind of have him watching them and his own feelings develop from there. Yeah, it's simultaneously beautiful and heartbreaking to watch Elliot in this fic because we really don't get his internal perspective on the show when canonically he's watching this stuff happen. We don't get that in canon, but in the fan fiction, I had always wondered what did Elliot Spencer feel when he sees Hardison and Parker fall into each other and get closer and closer and closer while he is kind of on the outside of that. And it was just so gratifying to be able to explore that internal experience with him in this fic because he is so aware that he's separate. It's this funny thing because I couldn't tell, honestly, if he was genuinely like, I'm so happy for you guys. This is amazing. Or if he's trying to just convince himself because he's so like separate from it that he's pining and wishing that he was part of it. Does that make sense? You know? I couldn't tell if he was trying to convince himself that he's happy for them and everything, or if he was genuinely like, yeah, this is great. I'm fine, like, not being a part of this. Yeah. No, I, I think it's it's kind of like what you were talking about earlier, about how he is this character that's very unlucky in love. And so I feel like there is this inherent almost sadness to it, where he's just like, he sees it as something that is not for him and that he's bad at and that uh, with the whole other, like, duffel bag of baggage that he has going on of like yeah his his self-perspective and all of that about what he deserves and if he deserves to be happy and all of that those things like like there's a certain sadness of it of but with like a joy that I do think is genuine like yeah in this fic I think like it's very much him being in love with their love and kind of having to come to terms with the fact that he can be a part of it so yeah, it's like a weird balancing act between those two things of like of like genuinely being happy that this is happening and and loving not just these two people but like the way that they are together while at the same time like all of his, you know, sad boy shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so sad because there are parts in there where he's talking about well, I got to prepare these guys in case something happens to me and they need to defend themselves. And it's almost like he's preparing for that idea that he won't be there at some point. And it kind of further cements that idea that he doesn't think it's for him, you know, that he thinks he's going to be on the outside of it for the rest of his life. And he's preparing for that. And he's preparing them to be able to survive without him. And it's this very sad Oh, because, yeah, I agree with you that I think there's this huge part of him that just thinks, I will never have this and I'll never deserve this. He just has so much crazy 
baggage that the idea that he could be a part of something beautiful like that is just kind of beyond him. Yeah. And I think also like, like specifically, it's something that I, I did kind of bring up a few times in the fic, I think is, is like his relationship with Amy and how like, it's just like that, that he had a chance at it and he lost it. <laughs> and that, that just like, yeah, is so compelling about his character that like, the person he used to be versus the person he is and like the things that he lost and kind of learning that like it's not inaccessible to him actually <laughs> like he can you know be happy and be in love and be all those things that he used to be even though so much has changed and he's done so much <laughs> like yeah yeah sort of that redemptive it's not too late for you yeah kind of a perspective definitely. i did get that sense from him that he just is thinking, you know, it's too late. It's too late. You know, I had my chance and that chance is gone. And then slowly watching him realize that it's not over and he does have that chance. Like, I love stories like that. These are my favorite kind of stories where it's kind of like him realizing that he can have it and then being invited into it, you know, and that joy of realizing like, oh, my God, I can love them and they love me back. Emotional payoff for me every single time I read fix like this. Like, it's so good and so amazing because it's just that moment of joy for him, I think. And I love that. Yeah, no, it, it's a great moment. I always love that, like those moments, just in fix in general, like that, the love confession scene. I think I spend like way too long and, you know, just getting into like that moment of like joy and like realization. <laughs> yeah, but when it comes up in the fic, it's great. Oh, it just hits you in the heart. Yeah, yeah it hits you I know, in all like, the right when I'm, places. Yeah, <laughs> when I'm reading fic, it's just that that payoff, that like, oh, it's happening. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh, it's so, so beautiful. I love everything about it. I don't know. I see a lot of fics where there's this self-depreciating like nature about uh, Elliot Spencer. And it's always been kind of one of my favorite things to explore just through reading Elliot-centric fan fiction. So it's always just really interesting to see like different people's takes. I know that this story is mostly from Elliot's perspective. Was it easy to write from his perspective or was it challenging? What did that feel like? It was interesting. Yeah, I think like I because I, I wrote it right after I wrote that first Parker fic that I wrote. And her voice was like, it, it just like it struck me. <laughs> it just like came to me. I was like, yes, like writing from her perspective was just so much fun and it's so different than I think Elliot's or Hardison's like yeah I think the challenge with Elliot is he is a character who has a lot of like darkness at his core like and so just like channeling into that and and thinking about the way that he sees them and specifically the way that like how how much is he going to allow himself to feel about these things? I love characters like that who don't like feeling things but have to feel things anyway. That was that was like a big part of it. It was just like like him being in love with them but also very much having to police how he does that and how he loves them, which I think is something that you get to actually see on the show because he is like he does care about these people so much, but the way that he interacts with them, especially, I think, partisan, is <laughs> just that, like, annoyance and that, like, we're allowed to, like, care about each other if we couch it in this, like, making fun of each other and, you know, 
being like <laughs> menaces to each other. And then similarly with Parker, though, I feel like it's a lot more, it's very different with Parker as well, because the way that she approaches things is so different. Like, I feel like with Elliot and Hardison, there's that like understanding of like, this is the way that we show care, because Elliot <laughs> is very uncomfortable with those things. But with Parker and Elliot, it's very much more like she annoys him and he is annoyed by her. And that's kind of like the way that they're allowed to like care about each other, which I think is so cute and wonderful. But but see, she gets away with a lot more. With oh, him. yes, she absolutely does. He allows her to do things to him that he would not allow anybody else yes, to do. Absolutely. He recognizes that she is different and he's just softer with her. But it is, though. It's so funny and just gratifying to see the way that they interact with each other. Because you're right. They have to, at least with Elliot on his side, he does have to couch it in these, like, behaviors where it's like, uh, no, like, I don't care about you. Get away from me. You know, it reminds me of, uh, you know, back in the day, speaking of older leverage fan fiction again, it used to be a very popular thing to compare Elliot to a guard dog. I saw a lot of fan fiction about that. Elliot the guard dog, Elliot the dog, blah, 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 which is great. Like, look, I love dogs. I do. I have a dog. But the thing with dogs is that dogs, for the most part, are very loyal and easy to win over. You feed a dog and show it some affection and it'll be your best friend forever, right? I'm not sure that Elliot is like that necessarily. He reminds me actually more of a cat. With a cat, you have to be very careful about how you win them over. And it takes a long time. You have to form a deep relationship with a cat before they decide that they like you. And then even when they do, they're going to act like they don't. And I feel like, like sometimes that's Elliot, you know, like he acts like he doesn't, but he really does. <laughs> that's really interesting because like, yeah, I, I feel like that is true. And in my mind, though, like, I associate, like, Parker so much with, like, that kind of cat-like behavior, where it's just, like, slowly kind of coaxing around. I think in a fic, I actually do have her, like, pushing bottles off of a counter because she's, like, <laughs> it's just, like, that kind of just, like, I have to, like, do this this way. Very, like, cat-like. But I think it is similar with Elliot, and I think that that's, that's another part, and I think we'll probably get into this if we talk about my, my other fic, like, why Hardison is just such a champion because he's really managing these two people who don't know what they're doing and are very resistant to everything that's happening with them emotionally and he's having to like coax them out and like yeah like understand them and like draw them into this relationship that's going to be good for everybody oh my god yes 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 and I oh my gosh I can't wait to get into that one because yeah I had the same thoughts about that one but before we move on to your uh your second fic did you have any favorite lines from this first one that you wanted to share? Yeah, I was thinking, I actually, you, you made me think of it earlier when you were talking about how, like, Elliot in this one is very much kind of, like, preparing them to be their own thing and to kind of, like, exist with him on the outside. I have this one line kind of in the middle where he talks about how they're, like, <laughs> as they get closer, they're, like, letting their walls down and they're being very, like, open with each other and fragile with each other and that he is kind of fashioning himself as, like, a wall around them <laughs> while they do that. I think that that really speaks to that and speaks to, like, kind of a big theme of that whole story. 
and his attitude of like, I can be the wall around them while they kind of let their walls down with each other. Yeah, yeah. It really speaks to how he sees himself. I don't deserve this for myself and this isn't for me, but I can still be the shield because that's my role, right? That's how he sees himself is like this shield. And as long as he's there to protect them, then everything's fine. And he just sort of accepts that about himself, thinking that that's all he is or will ever be. Ugh, it's beautiful and heartbreaking. I loved a lot of the same things about your second fic. Your second fic is you can hear it in the silence, which is a different fic, right? It's, it's from a different character's perspective. This is from Alec Hardison's perspective. And it covers some of the same themes because, of course, this is still a fic that revolves around the OT3. But this is really Hardison-centric in the sense that you're exploring the different ways that he's interacting with these two characters and trying to figure them out. And I loved your use of computer programming language. It was absolutely perfect. Obviously, Hardison is the character who's the nerd of the group. And I love that about him. Like, he's so nerdy and he loves Star Trek just like I do. And he loves all the nerd stuff. So he's the computer guy on the team, you know? And so he does know all of these programming languages. And the way that you described him and the way that you kind of like helped shape his character and really flesh him out here in this fic was just absolutely phenomenal. I loved it. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, this is my big confession time is that at the beginning of my time in college, I was a computer science major. And I've forgotten a lot about it by now. I know I'm positive there are people out there who know more about computers than me who read that fic and were like, what is she even talking about? But it was just like a really, yeah, I love Hardison so much. Like he's such like, like for me, he really is just like that heart of the show. He is like the most emotionally competent character. And he is dealing with being in love and being loved by two people who are not good at it. And I'm, I love that. I love that so much. And the way that he approaches them is really what, what is so appealing to me. And specifically, like, in the context of who he is as a character and how smart he is and how he works with computers and what little I know about computers is that, like, when you're coding, there's, like, all of these different, like, coding languages and there's all of these different kind of systems at play. And so it's, you have to know, like, all of these internal like logic things of like this is how you like speak computer and then like depending on the coding language the syntax will change and so and then like it just struck me that like that's just what he does like he thinks about how to talk to computers and how to work through these systems and how to translate them between different syntaxes and how to translate them into human english and human you know objectives like and that's what he does with his people too. Like he, he learns how to speak their language and how to understand their syntax and to create like that interface between them where they can communicate with each other and, and come to understanding. And yeah, he's beautiful. I love him. Yeah, he's such a champion. I think you mentioned that earlier yes. in the show. Like he's such a champion because, you know, one of the things that I love about Hardison's character In a lot of TV shows and movies, we see a lot of nerd characters, right? Nerd characters are at times represented and stuff, but like they're always represented as these like dweebs who like dress bad. They're really smart with some things, but really stupid with other things. They're not good at getting the girl and they're just really socially awkward. In this show, Hardison does incorporate some of those traditional like 
nerd stereotypes, right? Like he loves computers. He's really smart. He loves nerd stuff like World of Warcraft. But then they make him the most emotionally intelligent character. Yeah. And he's the nerd, right? And I was just like, oh my gosh, expectations subverted. Yeah. Right? That's why I really love, they have, I think it's like Will Wheaton, right? He plays Chaos as like this yes, side uh-huh. character, as this like dark side Hardison who's just is all of those like nerd tropes that are so like toxic and bad and like the way that he objectifies Parker all the time and it's just really gross and everybody hates him. And and he's just like this perfect like juxtaposition. He just elevates Hardison so much as a character because it's like, yeah, like this is often like how nerds are depicted. And I think that there there is a certain truth also to like that toxicity in certain aspects of like nerd culture. And they're like, no, but that's not him at all. Like he is the antithesis of all of those things. He's just like this this beacon of like light and good times. And I always gravitate towards like the nerdy comic relief characters. I love them. And so it was inevitable for me to like fall in love with him. But like their specific twisting. I think similar to their approach to to Parker too. It's just like the way that this show like could so easily just like fall into like a lot of like tropey pitfalls of like and deal with things like in a bad way and like I don't know things that other shows do that kind of leave a bitter taste in your mouth and the way that they always kind of choose the opposite and choose to like see these characters and like flesh them out and make them so real and lovable. <laughs> like yeah. Yes, absolutely. It was so refreshing. And I just, I love that Hardison at the heart of him, he wants family. He's the one that is trying to create a family with these people almost right away. He was the one trying to encourage them to make a home at the offices when they create those offices for the team. And he's the one that paints that picture of Nate, you know, (laughs) and he's the one that goes through all this trouble of creating backstories for everybody and making equipment for everybody and making sure that everybody is taken care of before they even decide and agree that they're even going to be a team. There's Hardison being like, we're going to do this, guys. Like, this will be great. It's amazing. It's just so endearing to me that he does his best to try and teach what he knows to the others. There are little references throughout the show where you can tell that he's tried very hard to teach Elliot how to use a computer. Just little moments like that where he is just trying so hard and he's so earnest, I think, about everything that he does. And so I love that that came through in your fan fiction, like the earnestness of wanting to learn new things and especially wanting to learn everything that he can about these two most important people in his life and recognizing that it is challenging because they're different. They each have their own challenges and their own ways of communicating that are different. And he just decides that, you know what, I'm going to learn these languages. I am because these people are important to me and this is important to me. So he puts in the effort, and that's what I love because that's so quintessential Hardison, is he puts in the effort every single time. Like, that's his love language. Honestly, he puts in time and he puts in effort into the people that he loves. Absolutely. Yeah, I I think that that's just what's so appealing to him as a character is that, like, he cares so much. (laughs) And And he is willing to really navigate, like other people and their boundaries and their, you know, the way that they see the world. And yeah, I I think it's really great the way that 
he's so smart, but he's also so willing to, I think, learn and to, to understand other people. Yeah, absolutely. I loved the way that he navigates his budding relationship with Parker in this story. Because you do go into the whole Parker ace issue in this fic, which was beautiful. And it seems like Hardison recognizes that with Parker pretty much right away, you know, and he goes to Elliot for advice and everything. And he just at some point decides that, you know what, whatever Parker is capable of and whatever she wants, that's what we're going to do. And that's enough for me. He doesn't try to change her, doesn't try to pressure her. He just loves her and wants her in his life however she wants to show up. And that was just beautiful to me that he was willing to do that and just take it as it comes. And it was just really gorgeous how respectful he was, that he gives her the space to do that and to communicate those things to him. I just loved it. Yeah. And I think like, just like, I guess, an imitation of canon and how he does that in the show. Like, it's hard to tell. So I think in, in general, like... I can watch and love a lot of shows or movies or whatever without necessarily like writing fic about it or without like having it become my identity for a few months. But I think with leverage kind of along the way, probably the pretzel scene is what like got me. I was like, oh, this is like it for me (laughs) because it is just so like it's him being so respectful and so like thoughtful in in and like the that juxtaposition between her Parker's like inability to do it and to like say how she feels about him and to make a move because you I've and I've seen this episode analyzed beautifully so many times on Tumblr like people much smarter than me have have picked it apart already but you have this whole episode where there is this like other girl that he's spending a lot of time with and Parker is jealous and it's like like that exploring. Like, in a worse show, she would be confrontational, she would blah blah blah, and he would be, you know, like, very pleased that she's so jealous and ha ha ha, and then at the end of the episode, like, maybe they have, like, a kiss or something, or maybe, I don't know, something happens. But the show, once again, is so refreshing in its take on that, where it doesn't fall into all of these pitfalls of, like, what relationships are supposed to look like, and how, like, you know, these moments unravel and in like the this dramatic way and it's very much about about her like feeling these things and having to confront them but not knowing how to say them and falling short not being able to say how she feels about him and him you know accepting that and and taking that in and saying that he's here like that and yeah i think that that's the line that kills me every time is when he's just like they're right here when you want them (laughs) it's gorgeous it's gorgeous well i loved it because when she starts talking about those pretzels, right? Yeah. You recognize right away that yeah. she's speaking in her own language, trying to say what she needs to say in her own particular way. And he meets her where she is. And then he speaks back to her in her own language with the pretzels. And it was just, oh, my God, phenomenal. I think that you referenced that a little bit in your fic as well, that he takes the time to learn how to speak back to her in her own language. And how meaningful is that? Like, how beautiful is that that you would take the time to learn that language and then speak it back? I think, like, I loved doing that, like, because I feel like it was so grounded in the show. And and also just, like, the specific way that I I explored, like, Parker's asexuality in this fic as as an ace person and 
who, you know, thinks a lot about my identity and who's generally comfortable with my identity, like having them explore that together, exploring that through Parker's lens and then also Hardison's ability to meet people where they're at, which I think is so powerful. And so, like, I I don't know, (laughs) I know that like Parker isn't canonically asexual, however we want to define that, but the way that the show is so committed to their relationship and the establishment of like boundaries within their relationship. It was just so fun to explore that and to, to, to give it that contextuality, I guess, with, with her being ace and how it, it just, it works so well with them and how respectful he is and how good he is at understanding people and caring enough about people to not just want what he wants, but to want what they want and to get to that place. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, Elliot Spencer in this fic (laughs) breaks my heart once again, right? Because once again, he's kind of on the outside. And in this fic, he kind of takes the role of like the guy they go to when they want love advice. So you have Hardison going to Elliot a lot for advice. And then you find out later that Parker has also been going to (laughs) Elliot, you know, on her own for the same kind of advice. And so he's kind of been this mediator in the background in their relationship. And then there's that heartbreaking part where he gets so drunk, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And he just can't handle himself anymore. And he ends up kissing Hardison, right? And then he's so embarrassed about it afterwards. And it was just this heartbreaking thing where He's tried so hard to tamp it down, you know, like get a lid on it. Don't show it. Don't ruin this for them. And he just gets to that point where he can't anymore. I think that there's that element in there where he's afraid of that rejection and he's totally going over there the next day to apologize and probably expecting that they're going to like reject him, you know. But once again, you have that beautiful moment of joy. Yep. Those scenes every time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That was such a, a fun aspect of it, too. Like, the hardison Elliot dynamic is so, like, funny and fun. And also, like, you know, it has that, that quintessential, like, Elliot level of heartbreak because, like, he cares so much as well. He just can't show it in the same way. And, like, with, with Hardison and Elliot, I, I think maybe I mentioned this before, there is, like, this understanding of, like, how they show intimacy. And Hardison is someone who is, like, emotionally intelligent enough to recognize that, like, this is how he cares, like, by, like, you know, being gruffer and being, you know, like, annoyed and messing around and, you know, shouting at each other and making jokes and everything. And that Hardison is someone who can adapt really well to both, to both, like, we're goofing around and we're, you know, ribbing on each other as, like, a way to connect, but also, like, the other end of that, where it is about, like, their intimacy and when Elliot does open up, that Hardison is equally capable <laughs> of, like, accepting that and of connecting with him on that level. Like, yeah, I feel like it is so different because where Elliot and Parker, they have a lot of silence. They have a lot of quiet communication that's often, like, very nonverbal, which I think is something that they're both, like, comfortable with. And they can get that from each other. But with Hardison, Elliot can be more intimate at times. Like, he can open up more. He can talk about things. And yeah, that's just like a really interesting component of their the whole, all of their relationship is 
is that kind of connection that Hardison has to words <laughs> and being able to get them to actually talk about things. It's one of those things that I just love about OT3 stuff in Leverage because it is just endlessly fascinating to watch these three characters interact with each other, learn how to adapt to each other, picking and poking at all of the little signs that they love each other because they are all speaking different languages. And it's just so beautiful to me to see the different ways that they communicate their feelings to each other. You know, it's my favorite thing. From this second fic, you can hear it in the silence. Which scene from this fic were you the most proud of when you were finished with it? That's always such an interesting question. I really liked the most of the scenes with kind of Parker and Hardison in intimacy, like whenever they were like physically trying to get close to each other. And there's all of this like complexity and things to kind of establish with each other. I really liked those. And I really liked writing the scene where Parker and Hardison actually talk about <laughs> how she's feeling and why she doesn't want to have sex with him and like coming and get, giving her like those words and stuff. And then also having Elliot on the line. <laughs> While they're like together and like figuring it out, and he's just like there forever, always like having to <laughs> kind of be a part of this relationship, whether he wants to be or not. And kind of like the way that they are like really connected, and the way that this moment is so important for all of them for Parker to kind of understand herself and for Hardison to kind of figure out like, how do I actually do this? And for Elliot to kind of be like, I'm gonna talk you through this, even though I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, that was a really fun scene. <laughs> Oh, I loved that scene. I really, really did. The way that Parker lights up when she realizes that there's a word for it and that she realizes that Hardison took the time to research it and bring those things to her so that she could understand. It was just gorgeous. And then the way that Elliot doesn't hang up the phone, even though it's like in the middle of the night and he's like, are you kidding me? It was just so, so great. I loved it, loved it, loved it. Since you have been writing for such a long time, fan fiction and otherwise, I was wondering what's the best piece of writing advice that you've ever received? That's a really tricky one, I think, because I write in a lot of different forms and different forms have different rules. Like, I think even just between like original fiction and fan fiction, like the rules are so different. And so like advice that's applicable to like some aren't applicable to others. That actually might be the answer then. Like, I, I've kind of gotten the best advice from sources outside of the form that I'm working in. Like, I had a really great poetry class once where I just learned so much about words and poetic devices. And just thinking about that, even when I'm writing prose, like, to just, like, be thinking about those things and to kind of carry over, like, those fundamentals <laughs> into your your own prose to kind of elevate it and to kind of make it flow and work better. And then in screenwriting, I think I had I had a great screenwriting professor who I I love very much. He he taught me so much about like how to create stories and that it became applicable over kind of everything that I write. And we went kind of back and forth cuz I love, you know, character explorations and really just getting into the weeds of just like relationships and working that out and he was like Eventually, things have to happen and you have to have a plot here because that's how stories work. So so we would go back and forth a lot. But he did give me like really important advice about how like every scene has to have a purpose. Like there has to be like some kind of internal like push and pull and like motivation. And so even even though like I do kind of 
lean very heavily into like characters and relationships and just like all of those things like I always kind of keep that in my head as like whenever I I'm getting lost or whatever I'm getting stuck I just have to like remind myself okay like why is this scene happening like how does this contribute to the arc I'm working on with this relationship or this character or like what is it contributing to like the theme that I want to like explore in this fic and so just like giving anything I write just like direction and making sure that every kind of thing I hit along the way has a purpose that's been like yeah indispensable advice so I love that especially because like you know you bring up such a good point that in different forms of writing in different genres there are different rules but I love when I get to talk to fic writers who will explain to me that oh yeah you know I learned this one thing about this one genre of writing but I was able to apply it over here to this project or over here to this project. And it's just so wonderful to me that, you know, along the way, we pick up so many different things. And it's just so fun and interesting to see how people apply those in lots of different areas of their life and their creative pursuits. So I just love that. I love hearing stuff like that. So (laughs) thank you. Now, before we end for today's episode, did you have any other fan fiction writers that you wanted to shout out on the podcast today? Yeah, I, I think so. I'm really bad, I think, at remembering, like, names of fics and stuff. I really, (laughs) I, like, just tear through so much fic and really quickly. But I think specifically in in Leverage and people who are, like, still posting right now in in the fandom, I really like Taste Rights and Onyxbird, yeah. There's also, like, it's very fun kind of following them on Tumblr and getting to hear their thoughts and you know, speculations and deconstructions of the show and then also getting to like read their fix about those themes and everything. So yeah, definitely check them out. Awesome. Awesome. We'll make sure that those links get up on the show notes so people can check those out. We are at the end of our episode today. Apple Juice, thank you so much for coming on. Do you have any last words for us before we get out of here? I love fan fiction. This has been so great. I've never like Really, I mean, aside from, like, experiences with friends and stuff, I've never really gotten to dig deep into, like, all of my big, like, fan fiction, like, thoughts and, (laughs) yeah. So this was really great and really fun. And I love talking about leverage. I could talk about leverage forever. Yes, well, the privilege was all mine. Thank you so, so much. This was so much fun. Everybody check out her stories on AO3 and give her some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com on Tumblr at Fanfic Maverick Podcast, on Instagram and Twitter at Fanfic Maverick, and I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling. <laughs>